and welcome back to the Just Interesting People podcast. My name is Rosie and I'm here with my husband and co-host Jeremy. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Today we are talking to Alejandra. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Here's Jeremy to introduce her properly as always. But yeah, enjoy. Thank you. Thank you guys for tuning in once again. Uh, good morning, Alejandra. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, a quick background Alejandro and I met um last year it's nearly been one year yeah I just realized that uh-huh it'll be because it was like in, in November. November right mm-hmm. god time flies <laughs> <laughs> well this year especially it's gone yeah but I don't know you just saying that I realized that whoa it's nearly one year yeah, <laughs> yeah. um so yeah we met in November uh during gratitude training uh, you are my buddy. Yes, <laughs> for the last part. Mm-hmm. Um, for the listeners uh, who listen to us every time, she is Alvi's partner, our very first guest. <laughs> just for the little anecdote. Um, so, yeah, we're just gonna dive into your story uh, straight away. Uh, let's start with the basic. Where are you from? Yes. Uh, again, thank you for having me. And so I grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland. It's uh, essentially the metropolitan area of Washington, D.C. And uh, growing up there, I was technically born in D.C., but grew up in Silver Spring and was raised there, went to high school there. And I didn't really, I feel like I kind of, whenever I look back, I'm like, wow, my life really blew up and so much transformation happened when I moved to Miami. Uh, So growing up in Maryland, it was like a suburb, you know, everyone kind of, you have your local grocery store, you kind of have like the high school, you know, everyone there. Um, And so that was so interesting for me to then move here and have things shift so much. But growing up, I grew up in a very Colombian household. My mom is from Colombia. She came here when she was about like 19, I believe. And she went straight into DC. And that was already so crazy for me to think about because she comes from a very rural area in Colombia. And this was, you know, definitely pre-internet for her. And so coming here, it's like such a different world. And I was thinking about that a lot too, like how much my life would have been different had she stayed in Colombia. But coming here and really she then my dad, my father figure, he's also Colombian. And so I grew up in a very Colombian household. And I also grew up amongst a lot of what I consider second generation immigrants. So people whose parents immigrated to America from other countries. And so, and I also grew up in a Spanish speaking household. So my mom doesn't really speak much English. Like now she can kind of have conversations, but even when I bring Alvi home, they like, they try to start a conversation and then she looks at me and she's like, tell him this, this, and this. <laughs> and so they really, uh, they attempt, but it's, there's definitely a language barrier there. Even up there, there is a big Spanish community. Yeah. Because I would so, say, I understand Miami and like LA, right. like all the, the South, but I didn't know yeah. up North. This. I think it depends too. So a couple of things. I think because she came here and it's such a foreign place, like naturally as human beings, I think we try to find people who we can speak to and relate to. And so she built a community of people who were also Spanish speaking. And in addition to that, she cleans houses. And so she didn't work for a company. She worked for herself cleaning houses. And so I don't think she was ever really in a place where that was a survival. Like she had to learn it in order to get by. She was able to get by without having to do that. And so 
on the contrary, my biological dad, who we'll probably talk about, is he actually does know some English. He works, he does construction, but he works for companies. And when he came here, he took advantage of a lot of the free resources there were because there was such an influx of immigrants coming from Spanish-speaking countries. And so there were English classes that he would take. So he did learn, but my mom never did. And she really she gets by pretty fine. A lot of the people, obviously, that she hangs out with, they're all from different Spanish-speaking countries, but mainly Spanish-speaking. So she never really got around to learning that. That reminds me of my grandmother, mm-hmm. uh, who moved from Portugal to France uh, back in the uh, 70s. Mm-hmm. And same, she was cleaning houses, uh, so she never had to learn English like, yeah. to find a job. French. Uh, French, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she's always been hanging out with either Portuguese or Spanish people. Yeah. So she does speak French, but... It's, she speaks Portuguese French. Yeah, Portu- 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 Portuguese-Spanish-French yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, kind of the same background. Right. So I understand, like, she never had to do it. It was yeah. not, like, a necessity. So as long as you can go food shopping and a bunch yeah. of things like that, you, you'll be all right. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because when I look back, I do remember in some instances like me experiencing other people getting upset with my mom for not knowing English. And I did kind of experience that. I remember one time we went to court because I actually don't remember what the violation was, but I went to court with her because I was like her translator growing up. And so we went to court together and I told the judge, uh, she was like, what is she doing here? And I was like, oh, I'm here to translate whatever. Mind you, what the hell am I going to translate in a court? Like, yeah. I, don't even, I don't know, but like, this is my mom's thinking. I'm like, she has to come with me to translate and the judge got really upset she was like how long has she been in this country and I mean I must have been I don't know maybe like 12 maybe like 11 or 12 I was really small and so um, I looked at her and I was like you know in Spanish she said and when she told her like oh she's been here for almost 15 years she was just like no that's ridiculous like you should know English at this point you will not be and she essentially had me not just sit there not translate anything and as they began Uh, it was very clear that they couldn't communicate with each other because my mom didn't understand what she was saying. And so she got really upset, visibly upset, I remember. And she said, um, okay, we're going to take a break. We need to get a translator for her. And I was like, that's what we <laughs> that's what we said. And I think technically, like, it's, I I'm, I'm, could be wrong about this, but I do think legally they are required to get a translator oh, if the person right. doesn't speak the language. Yeah. And so they went and got that. Sense. Yeah. And so, like, I remember things like that being like, oh, yeah, because there is that kind of rhetoric I think in America where it's like you should speak English and so for me it's been interesting because I grew up really understanding that there are lots of people who don't speak English and I grew up also around a lot of people who didn't have documents who were undocumented my mom was undocumented up until I was almost uh 11 yeah about 11 so I would grow up my mom would send me to Colombia every two years about and she would never come with me which and now in hindsight as an adult I understand because she didn't have documents so she couldn't travel outside of the country without running the risk of not being able to come back and so I would always go alone and I would cry I'd be like mommy I want you to come with me why can't you come with me and like you know now of course I understand that that would break her heart because she wanted to come she hadn't she did not see her mom for a decade and so that's really challenging and this is again is really before like 
we had technology at the rate that we have now. So it's not like my mom was FaceTiming her grandma or anything like, no, she really, it was very disconnected. They would have calls. And back in the day, it would be, you would get a calling card from a store and then you would scratch the little thing, do the number and they were expensive. And so that's how my mom would stay connected. But I didn't really understand what, why she couldn't come with me until now, like as I got older and became an adult and I understand like, oh, I grew up around a lot of undocumented people. Um, My uncle wound up, we tried to get our uncle here and he wound up getting deported. So I grew up kind of in this world of like, oh, I understand what like not having, or I didn't understand, but like I experienced seeing people not having documents, not wanting to drive a fear of getting pulled over and then getting deported and like these different things that now when I get older and I see the conversation around it, I'm like, oh, people really, yeah, yeah. I was like, some people have really, really, in my opinion, very nasty thoughts about people that I grew up around. So that was very interesting to kind of learn. <laughs> so one thing, let's see if you remember that, Rosie. Oh, that <laughs> you told me about uh, your childhood and... Yes, actually I do remember. Yeah, here we are. Okay. <laughs> Can you tell us what's the Colombian tradition about hot chocolate, please? Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so... In Colombia, and this is actually specific to Bogota, which is the capital, and kind of that surrounding area, it's common to have hot chocolate with cheese in the hot chocolate. And it like you get cheese, you put it in, and then it melts, and then you preferably have like pan de bono or a bonuelo, something like that, some kind of bread to have it with the hot chocolate. And so I grew up having this, and I freaking loved it. Every time, what I would actually get upset with my mom when she would get, I forgot what kind of cheese, because I actually... I'm not very well with knowing my different cheeses, but she got it. She would get certain cheeses that wouldn't melt. And I would get so upset. I'd be like, mommy, this is the cheese that doesn't melt. <laughs> and there were times where she, you know, because we're in America and we're trying to hold like, you know, her Colombian traditions and her upbringing, there were times where she would come home and it would be like shredded mozzarella cheese. And I'd be like, this works. And I would <laughs> throw it in there. And I remember the day I realized that this wasn't normal I was at this point I graduated college so I was like 21 I was in my first office job and so I was working at a nonprofit. it was you know we had about like 30 people and so we ranged a lot in ages and in colors and everything and so I'm sitting there and we're at the lunch table and everyone's talking about how much they love cheese and you know everyone's like oh my god I love my cheese on this and I love my cheese on this and then people are like oh my god I love that too oh my god I love that too and so I hop in I'm like yeah I love my cheese in hot chocolate and it's literally dead silent <laughs> and people just turn around and look at me and I'm like what a freak <laughs> I was like oh and I immediately got on my phone because I was like is this not a thing and it was like Colombian hot chocolate and then it was like some likely a white girl blogger who was like I went to Colombia and I was like Wow. And that's when I realized at 21 years old, I realized that my upbringing was not anyone else's. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I've, I've got to try that. I mean, yeah. I'm not, I love cheese. I like hot chocolates. I'm not convinced about the mix, but I've got to try it. <laughs> yeah. But like, funny you say that because for me, like in France, for me, I don't know, hot chocolate is just hot chocolate. And I remember going to Australia, first time going abroad. Well, outside of Europe when I was 22 um, in the plane you know when they come it's like hey do you want a coffee or a tea or whatever and I was like oh I'm gonna have a hot chocolate you know that'll be nice uh, and I remember 
they put like the the thing on the top of the cup, you know, so you don't actually see what's inside. So I just expected a hot chocolate. So I started drinking it, and it's like this something there, like blocking the stuff, and it was a marshmallow. Oh yeah. Inside, and I was yeah. like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> 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 why why are you doing that like, oh this is God. so strange and that's so normal yeah that's but normal for, for me, me i was like what the fuck why would you put that in there seriously like what's wrong with you yeah. <laughs> so i didn't have it yeah. <laughs> so yeah it's funny how cultures are we we find things normal and then suddenly it's like what's wrong with these people yeah. well i think that's the beauty of when you meet other people from different countries and you learn about like how their upbringing was and how different it is and what's normal to them is not something you've experienced yeah. and same like and going back to really talking about the trajectory of my life changed so much the moment my mom decided to come to america and it's like when i would go back to colombia um well first things my mom is one of 12 so it's a lot it's a big family and like i said they're from rural colombia now they're kind of expanding into major cities like Bogota but because of that they had it was very much like old times uh, farming like they have a lot of kids and my so I have a lot of cousins and my mom being one of 12 only two sisters are here in America so one of them is my mom and the other one obviously is my aunt everyone else meaning 10 other siblings and all of their kids are in Colombia so the vast majority of our family and when I would go my cousins would be like oh my god Alejandro's here the American's here so in in Spanish we we call Americans gringos and gringas. And so it's like, oh, la gringa. And they were just like, and they were just so fascinated with me. And they would ask me questions about like a bunch. Of, it would be like a Q&A every time I went. And You're, I'm. Were you like the lucky one? For sure. Yeah. I mean, in, in their eyes and in hindsight, of course, now I understand in my eyes as well, because like the way we do for ourselves, although my mom cleaned houses and we were very much like working class, it's very different to think about what working class is in America than what working class is in Colombia. And uh, so my mom, like every time I would go, I remember one time my cousin literally took me to her school as like a show and tell kind of day and like sat me at the front of the class and all the kids were just asking me all of these questions. And I'm like, at that moment, like now I understand. I was like, I really hope I represented because they were whatever I said for them was like America. Yeah. They're like, no, I know how America works. I met a girl <laughs> because it wasn't that often. Even now, when you go to Colombia, there's a lot, you know, a bit more tourism, especially in Bogota. But where my family is, no, I mean, they really I was the American girl that they knew and they met. Uh, so being able to talk to them and tell them how it was for my upbringing was a new world. And so to really understand like, wow, my life really did change the moment my mom decided to move here. Interesting. Um, so growing up, uh, you grew up up north, I'm going to say. Yeah, <laughs> up north. Right. Compared northeast. to Miami, up north. The okay. northeast, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and you had siblings, right? Yes. Yeah, so I, I actually, I grew up for the first 10 years with no siblings. And my mom then, my mom and my father figure, who I refer to as my dad, he, they got a divorce when I was nine. And then my mom then met someone else and then had a baby like really quickly, I would say within like two years, like a year and a half of the divorce. And so then that's when I was so excited. My mom told me that she was pregnant. I was jumping off of the walls. I was like, I'm going to have a fucking sibling. Like, I was little, so I wasn't say fucking. But like, I was like, I'm so excited. And I was like just jumping around. And my mom told me the story later on, but she said that she was terrified to tell me that she was pregnant because one, I didn't, I actually, 
as a kid, I think I was one really hurt that her and my dad divorced. And then she met this other guy so quickly that I remember I was like, who the hell are you? And I just remember being really like averse to him. And I remember him trying to be like really sweet to me and just me just kind of like, like sticking to my mom and looking at him like you weirdo like who are you and so I think my mom was really afraid to tell me that she was pregnant because I would get upset or whatever it may be and no she was so happy when I was just like blasting around the walls I was like we were in a two-bedroom apartment and my mom winds up giving birth to my brother and we're in this two-bedroom apartment now so it's her, my stepdad, my bro- a newborn baby, and me. And I remember there were days where I didn't go to school because my brother cried all night and I was sleep deprived. And it's not like we had this big house, like, oh, I'll just go in this room and not hear him. So there were days that that, that would happen. And so quickly after that, we got into a house. My mom purchased a home and there it was, it was a three bedroom, I think at that time. Um, but it was just so nice because my baby brother, since I had him, I had him. That's literally how I feel <laughs> my because my mother had him when I was 10 and he was born. Like I was just so nurturing and I, there's pictures of me like taking him a bath where really it's like my mom was probably taking him a bath and I was like pretending to take him a bath. Um, I would change his diapers. Like I said, he would keep me up at night sometimes. And so we very much have like this relationship where it's a lot more of like me being like a loving nurturing sister like much older sister than it is like siblings that like fight with each other and things like that yeah like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, that wasn't my experience and I do remember like one time when I was little I think my brother might have been too my brother did something that pissed me off and I hit him I like hit him across the face and well, one, my stepdad got really upset, which I completely understand. And then two, I remember when I hit him, I was like, this feels really wrong because he was so little. Like he's two, I'm 12. And it just did. It wasn't like, you know, I'm 10 and you're 12 and we're siblings. And we're just going to fight it out. Like that's not how it was. And it felt it felt actually like abusive. That's how it felt when I hit him across the face. And I couldn't I didn't have the vocabulary to think in that way, but I knew that it felt wrong. And so ever since then, like I never put my hands on him again. And it's that kind of relationship where when I talk to him, I'm like, hey, sweetie, how are you? Mm. Have I guess you talked you're to like mom? your second mom or something. Yeah, yeah, and I very much feel that way. So I love him incredibly. He calls me Yaya because growing up he couldn't Alejandra. say Alejandra. <laughs> and so yeah. I don't know where Yaya came from. And I and I feel like such a loving, nurturing way about him. And like I get really excited when he hits his milestones and things like that, like him graduating yeah, you high graduated school. recently, right? I remember. Yeah, I went home because he was graduating high school. And I just very much see him in that way as like a guide, a mentor, a sister and so that and then I remember he gave me his first kind of like like I just felt like such an older sister in this case he had uh oh he might get upset with me he got a pregnancy scare with his girlfriend and I like immediately freaked out and I was like what tell me what happened and then he told me what happened and I was like oh you're so ignorant like it's okay I was like it's fine I was like the way sex works it's very unlikely (laughs) that anything happened and so kind of helping but it was in that case where it was like it's an it's an interesting space where it's like he probably would have never done that with his mom yeah it's nice right so it's like I kind of play this role where it's very much like I know you're my sister but you're also this older person who can guide me through certain things so I love that yeah it's nice that you felt 
comfortable to to ask you to reach out and, yeah. and ask for advice. Yeah, it's yeah. Cool. <laughs> Another interesting thing too, I just this memory triggered is sometimes when I would talk about my brother to other people, they would ask about like my dads, and I'd be like, oh yeah, we have different dads, and they would then proceed to be like, oh, so he's your half brother, and like that thought always felt weird to me. I was like. I mean, technically, I guess, but like I never saw my brother in that way. I simply saw him as my brother, always. He was like, he's my baby brother, specifically my baby yeah. brother. <laughs> Your baby brother. <laughs> yeah. He's technically an adult now, and I'm like, my baby brother. Um, and when when did you find out, or did you just know from the, well, not from the beginning, but stupid what I'm saying, forget about it. <laughs> when did you find out that, uh, the man you thought was your dad wasn't your biological dad oh okay yeah so I don't I actually haven't fact like talked to my mom to figure out when she told me but it wasn't I don't I have no memory of being like oh my god my dad isn't my dad like I think my mom really did tell me from a very young age of being like this is the person who loves you and he's your dad but like there's someone that I was with that like te- like I don't know how she explained it yeah, to yeah. me no but it was not like a big announcement like when you turn 16 like by the way yeah and I wasn't like this betrayal of like how could you never tell me I really understood from a young age that he was my dad and that he loved me as if he was like yeah. yeah right and so when they got a divorce when I was nine my mom tells me that my dad was essentially like, fine, like you can have whatever as long as I still get to see Alejandra on a regular basis. Like he was very adamant about having that portion. And now, of course, as an adult, I'm like, wow, my dad was not my biological dad and loves me so incredible, like just so much and really cares for me like his own daughter. And I think especially given how my biological father didn't stay around for my upbringing, it really is amazing to see that there are men out there who come in and say, I'm going to love this child as if this child is my very own and show them love and affection and caring. And I that really blows my mind away that my dad had the capacity to do that given the contrary of, like, my biological yeah, dad. Yeah. So, uh, how how old were you when your dad stepped into your life? And you were, like, a baby baby? Yeah, I was. My dad was pretty much there when I was born. When oh. my, my dad was around even before, like, while my mom was pregnant, because he was friends with my uncle. Yeah. They, like, worked together, I think, in construction. And so he was always around. It wasn't, yeah, so like, a new... It's, it's not like he met you when you were, like, two or three and, right. like... Yeah, from the beginning, like you, yeah, you were his baby. Like you, yeah. You, okay. Yeah, that yeah. And I think that's why he was so fond of me because he was there from the very beginning. And he, like, showed up after my mom gave birth and, like, gave me this little, like, teddy bear. Like, he was very fond of my mom and then by extension with me as soon as I was born. Yeah, okay. So while we're talking about dads and brothers... I know you recently found out you've got two of the brothers. Yes. When did yes, that yes. happen? Do you want to talk to us about that as well? Yeah, absolutely. Oof. So as I mentioned, I think earlier, me coming to Miami was truly a catalyst for so much change in my life. And I came here 
when I got here, I was in a relationship with someone and we had been together coming up on six years and moved to Miami because that was something he really wanted to do. And I ultimately decided like, all right, we'll we'll try this out. We'll see how it works. And it quickly fell apart within like six weeks. We had broken up and then he had moved back to Maryland and I decided to stay in Miami, even though it wasn't necessarily my idea. I did in high school, I always said I I was going to leave Maryland. I was always like, F this place. I don't want to be here. I'm going to leave. I thought I was going to go to California when I was in high school. And then once I graduated, I realized, girl, that's far. And it's really (laughs) expensive. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) So then I, I canceled that. And so when I got to Miami and everything fell apart, I really was I was just like, I can't go back. Not only was it an ego thing in the sense of like, I this is stupid. I just had a farewell. What I'm going to just pull back up and be like, hey, guys, psych. And then the other part was genuinely I knew that this was the hardest part in terms of taking that first step of actually leaving the town that I grew up in. And I was like, I I did the hardest part. I did the first step. In my mind, I thought that was the hardest part. It wasn't. (laughs) It was not the hardest part. I took the first step, though. So I decided to stay. And then from there, my first year in Miami was incredibly challenging. I was alone. I didn't have any family or friends here in Miami. And I was also grieving the loss of my relationship. I had been with this person since I was, I want to say, 18 up until 24. So it's just so much had happened And I think I had really like settled in this idea that we like that was the person I was going to be with. And so being in Miami, not having any family, not having any friends, losing the person I thought I was going to be with. I grieved in a way by I coped in a way of like drinking and partying because in Miami that's so easily accessible especially as a young woman you can there's like so many promoters here that will take you to clubs for free and provide alcohol for free and so I I did that so often I was like every weekend I was in a different club and I was drinking so much and I was meeting girls but in the club so like a lot of these relationships weren't going anywhere and I wasn't taking care of my body I lost a lot of weight and it was for sure like I think out of like pure sadness and stress because I wasn't treating my body well I was exercising but I was eating like also burger fight at four in the morning after drinking at the club so I was like going through so much pain and like trial and error and me I have growing up I didn't really have a lot of friends I didn't make a lot of friends I've always like kind of kept very small circles and so I have one best friend from high school and I remember one time she like essentially went off on me she was just like some like you're being ridiculous every time we talk all you talk about is like some guy you met the club you went to how much you've been drinking you never asked me about me like she just like kind of really like went off on me and that was like the start of me being like oh something's wrong with me like I'm not coping well and so I'm so happy because she was like ignoring me and I was like what's wrong like why why aren't you answering my messages and that's when she told me that so kind that's was like yes oh Reina (laughs) I love her so much I'll definitely tell her listen Having to this. the hot conversation yes. like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And I'm so incredibly happy that she had the courage to like essentially vent that to me. And that's when I realized I was like, oh, I'm not doing okay. And that like growing up, I think I had such a mentality, especially like in middle school and high school, like, oh, uh, people suck. Like you, I can't trust people. They leave. 
and things like that. And I started to understand that that mentality was really harming me in Miami because I we're human beings. We need community and we need friends. We need love and support and everything. And so I didn't have that. And I wasn't creating it because I had such a mentality that people suck and you can't trust them. And so that's where like a lot of the shift began to happen where I was like, okay, um, how do I make friends? And I'm like, all right. I literally, I was just like, I don't know how to make friends. I've never made a new friend. Rain is my friend, but we went to high school together. That's essentially how we became friends. So really starting that whole process. And I did a lot of healing. I began to go to church and really began to do things like do things that were sober and healing, like going to the beach by myself and like doing things like journaling, going for a bike ride, things like that. And so from there, I remember for the first time I started to think like, oh, I wonder where my biological dad is. And I remember when that thought first came up, I was like, that's stupid. Like I just completely disregarded it because growing up I didn't, like I never really allowed myself to explore that. I was like, I have a dad, he's amazing. I don't need to know where my biological dad is. He doesn't matter. And when that came up, I was just like, oh, that's so interesting. And I suppressed it. And then as time continued to go and things started to get even more challenging in Miami, I was like really embodying like perseverance and like constantly like just so many things happened in my life in Miami in the first year. And so finally, as I began to think about my biological dad more and more, I then created this story in my head that like if I tried to get help from my mom to find him, my mom would feel betrayed and sad and just like ultimately feel like, why, why do you want to meet him? And so that was my new story. And then I was just like, oh, okay, so I'm not going to do that because I don't want to hurt my mom's feelings and so forth. And then really it was not until we did gratitude. So it was maybe like a year and a half of me like going through this phase of like thinking about my biological dad, convincing myself that it would hurt my mom and not doing anything about it. And then when I started to do gratitude, I was like, okay. I'm going to ask my mom for help and finding him. And I like set a deadline for it. And I couldn't find him on my own because I didn't know. I knew his name was Juan and I knew he was El Salvadorian and I knew he lived in D.C. at some point in the 90s. And that was helping. That was not (laughs) going to help me. Like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, name Juan. Like there was no way. And so I knew I was going to need my mom's help. And so finally... I set a deadline for myself like at Friday. I was like, by Friday, by next Friday, I'm going to ask my mom. Like, I'm not going to go to sleep without asking my mom for help. So, of course, I let Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday pass by and didn't call my mom. Friday, 11.58. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Friday, I'm like driving home from work and I'm like, oh, shit. So I give my mom a call and I'm like freaking out. And my mom answers, of course, and we're talking and I'm beating around the freaking bush. I don't even know what I'm talking about to my mom. And I basically go, I like blurred out. I was like, mom, I've been thinking a lot about finding Juan and I would really need your help in order to do that. And my mom immediately was so incredibly supportive and was like, absolutely, I'll help you. And it was such an emotional call because then my mom started to cry and was like, I really tried my best in raising you. And oh, it gets me every time. And I was just like, you did so amazing. I was like, you did so amazing. I'm really proud of myself. <laughs> now Rosie and I are both crying. Um, yeah, it was just like, you know, my mom is truly a beautiful soul, like amazing, courageous, so loving. And like for her to take I'm over here thinking my mom's going to get angry at me. And she's literally crying and saying, I'm so sorry, I really did my best. And I was like, oh, my God. So it was a very emotionally charged call. 
and but in a beautiful way in a very beautiful and healing way and she was like absolutely I'll help you find your dad so we get off the phone and I'm like oh my gosh well first of all I met my weekly promises <laughs> so yay <laughs> and then next time I talk to Jeremy I can tell him I did this and then um secondly it was like maybe 10 days later and my mom comes back and she's like Ale I found him I was like what it's been 10 days. Like I'm over here thinking it's going to take so long. Yeah. And she's like, so my mom, she's a spy. She, yeah, literally she's a spy. <laughs> she uh, used the best database ever, Facebook. <laughs> so she gets on Facebook and she's like messaging a bunch of people and essentially she's able to find him. And so she calls me, she tells him, she, she tells me she found him. And I was like, amazing. And she goes, he lives in Miami. And I was just like, what? I stood silent like I couldn't even like I had no words in that moment I was just like you're telling me I moved to this city not necessarily because it was my idea and then I blew up in front of my face and then I finally decided to like build the courage to ask my mom to help me to find this guy who was in DC with my mom when they birthed me and he's here he's and he's been here the whole time that I've been here like thinking I have no family and no one and I was just like what so um, after I kind of like get through that hurdle, she's like, yeah, he asked if it would be OK if I share your phone number with him. And I was like, absolutely. Share my phone number with him. So she's like, OK. So we get off. She shares my phone number. And, you know, a couple days pass by. So now I'm like creating new stories. I'm like, all right, he doesn't want to meet me. He doesn't care. He doesn't want to see me. It's been days. It's amazing how <laughs> powerful the brain is, right? Absolutely. To like feeding us. We're good at feeding ourselves with sh bullshit. Bullshit. Not to do something. Right. Just because we're scared, basically. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And on the other, it's just like we don't ever, like, I don't ever know what's happening on that side. Like, maybe he was like, fuck, I'm so afraid. Like, I don't know. I left her, you know, running through all these stories. And so he, this is when I first started dating Alvi. So we're not even like, that's my boyfriend. I was like, this is a guy that I'm dating. And I'm on his way to his place. And it's probably like the third time or fourth time max we've ever hung out. Pretty sure it was the third. And I'm on my way and he calls me as I'm on my way to his house. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I was like, I'm already nervous. I'm going over this guy's house and he's new and I'm dating him. And now my, my dad's calling me and I've never talked to him in my life. <laughs> and I'm just like all of these emotions. And so I answer the call. And sure enough, we like start the conversation and just like anything, I was, I was very much like, I would love to see you. So we set up a date for the following Sunday to meet at this restaurant called Miam. I'm pretty sure it's how it's pronounced. It's a breakfast spot in Wynwood. And so from there, we like set it up. So next Sunday comes around and I'm like, I'm nervous, but it kind of feels like I don't know. Like, I feel like at that point I had like accepted. I was like, okay, I'm going to meet him. So I wasn't like super amped up. I like went yeah, in. Like nervous excitement. Yeah. Kind of it felt like pretty, like I was like, okay, this is going to happen. Like, that's fine. And so I get to the restaurant. And so mind you, by the time I asked my mom for help, I waited a year and a half to ask my mom for help because I was afraid. By the time I asked my mom for help, like maybe three weeks had passed by, by the time I was like meeting my biological father at 26. 
And so um, I'm at the restaurant and then he gets there and it just like kind of feels weird. Like, I don't know. It, it, it wasn't like, oh, my God. I just like saw him and I was like, oh, wow, like that's my biological dad. And so we sit down and we have a conversation. I'm just like, so what was your upbringing like? <laughs> kind of like how you just asked me, where are you from? <laughs> I was like, what was your upbringing like? And I, he's very, very inward and quiet and so it was a lot more of like me asking him questions and one of the biggest things is I wanted to know if I had siblings I wanted to know so I was just like oh do I have any siblings and he was like yeah you have two brothers so I was like wow and I was like can you show me pictures so then he's showing me pictures and I've got all the pictures so I'm like showing him pictures of me I'm showing him pictures of my brother of my dad of my mom like everyone And we're kind of like, we have this really nice conversation. We wrap it up. And then as we're walking out, he walks me to my car and he gives me an envelope. It's right before Christmas at this point. So he gives me an envelope and I'm like, in my head, I was like, all right, I don't know what this is. I'll take it. And so um, I take the envelope and then he goes in to give me a hug. So I'm like, okay, we'll see each other after Christmas. And when we go in for the hug, he just balls in my shoulder, like on my chest, like just begins to ball crying. And now I'm standing there and like my immediate reaction was like awkwardness. I was just like, what's happening right now? Why is he crying? And like he cried for about like three seconds and then he started to sob and say, I'm really sorry in Spanish. He was like, perdóname. And he continues to say like, I didn't know any better. I'm really sorry. And so at that moment, I'm realizing I'm like, and because, you know, I've been doing I was in gratitude, like I had already so I had so many resources and tools and knowledge that I had gained in gratitude that I understood that in that moment he was releasing what is probably guilt and pain. Yeah. 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 And like and for me, I didn't feel that because I was just like, this is a genuine curiosity. I want to get to know you. And he was just bawling. And I told him I was like. I forgive you. If I if I didn't forgive you, I wouldn't be here. I because I'm here because I forgive you and because I want to meet my brothers and get to know you and like meet my family. Like that's really the beauty of this. And so from there, you know, we kind of parted ways. I came home for Christmas and all of that and it was so amazing because now that I've gotten to know him a bit better, I understand how how much he must have felt so heavy in that moment because he's so he's very much like you can see the machismo in him like he's very reserved he doesn't like really show too much emotion I think I saw him laugh like a few times and he's very quiet like us getting to know each other is really me asking him a bunch of questions and like further questions and further questions and further questions because he he gives like two word answers and that's it. And so for me to understand him from that perspective now, it just shows me like how much he should, he could have, he would have been feeling at that moment to just ball in my shoulders like that. It's so incredible. Just, just like you were making up things in your head about asking your mom and then about meeting him. Like, does he want to see me? Does he even care? Like all these things. Like, He's, he's been in this state probably for 20 plus yeah. years for yeah. 25 26 years and i can't even imagine how weird it must be to get a phone call yeah. after 26 years of like hey i'm your you know old partner <laughs> and, and your daughter wants to meet you yeah. I, I, it must have been a shock for him as well like yeah. when you think about it it's like 
big punch in the face right, and right. all the things you must have made up like does she hate me like, i can't yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think a lot of that wasn't at play. Like, I think a lot of stories were going through his head. And uh, so f- since then, you know, that when I met my dad, I believe, uh, yep, I was in ML. I was definitely in ML. And then from there, I went home. And so I knew that I wanted to meet my brothers because that was going to be really exciting for me. And it was such a challenge to meet my brothers. That was like on my weekly promises so many times. But my brothers, so my brothers were raised by Juan, obviously. And so they are very much similar in that they are so quiet. They do not like, they're not very expressive at all. And so I would, um, Juan gave me his phone number. Like for a while I was like, Hey, can you coordinate this? And like between all all three guys, I was like, I will literally never meet them. Give me his phone number. (laughs) I was like, give me their phone numbers. So he gives me their phone numbers and I'm reaching out to them and they're not really being very responsive. Like I, I would text them, but I was too afraid to call them. Yeah, because I, re- I, was, I remember. Yeah, I was like too afraid <laughs> Just to call them. Yeah. Fuck <laughs> and I was like, no, they're obviously avoiding my text messages. And so finally I called and they answered. Like, I forgot which one I called first. Um, but it's Christopher and Brian are their names. And so um, I think I may have called Christopher first. And so he answers. And then from there, I'm like, oh, hi. And then so we start talking and we set up a date to meet each other. And I meet, I want to say, I can't remember who I went up meeting first, but I meet the older one first. And so I'm like already so amped up. And when I meet him, it's so similar in the way that he's like, super chill like me asking him questions is like I remember I was like so what do you like to do and he's like I play video games (laughs) (laughs) and and I was just like okay um what about other things (laughs) and just like asking him a bunch of questions and they're they're very much in that way both of them very reserved and it took me a while to meet the younger one because he has like a different work schedule um but to meet them it was so interesting because I was like wow, like these are really my brothers. And I asked him, I was like, did they know about me? Did you guys know about me growing up? He was like, yeah, like we knew that we had a sister. We just didn't know where she was. And I was like, oh my God, that's so insane. Like there were people who knew. And then on like a complete, so I meet my two brothers and from there, I haven't really seen them too much. I've kept in touch with my dad, with Juan. Um, But I also went to El Salvador and I met my aunt and my uncle and my grandparents so that was like a whole and all of this happened so quickly like we met in December and then in the following summer he asked me like I remember he was like oh how would you like going to El Salvador and I was like that's awesome I would love to go to El Salvador but I didn't think much of it and then he followed up like a week later he was like okay well if you want like I'm happy to pay for your ticket to go to El Salvador and that way you can meet like my parents and things like that and I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. So I was super excited um, because his, our, my grandparents are a lot older. And my grandfather specifically is like partially blind and also partially deaf. So his health is deteriorating. And so he pays for my ticket and we wind up going and I meet him there. And so I'm able to meet my grandparents. I meet he has a new girlfriend that lives in El Salvador. So I met her and I met my aunt and when I met my uncle I was like oh my god you are my spirit <laughs> like you are my spirit and it was just so amazing he is so out there he's very entrepreneur like he is so self-expressive and I don't necessarily it's beautiful because 
obviously my grandparents don't disown him for being gay. He also hasn't been like, hey, I'm gay. But he's one of those like he's so ex- he has a gay club like it's it's just one of those things that aren't talked about. Yeah. But we like everyone yeah, knows yeah. it's not hidden at it, all. It, it would be in another country. It, yeah. He would have said it. But right. I guess it's right. Right. Over there to admit that. Yeah. And so um, I thought that was really interesting because, you know, clearly in traditional values like that can be very challenging for parents to for families to accept. And he lives with them and he cares for them. And he's so expressive. As I said, he has a gay club. So he's very entrepreneur like and he loves to travel. Like I went to into his room and he has like little ornaments from all the different countries he's been in. And he's traveled so much, which is amazing given like growing up in El Salvador and especially like given how challenging it can sometimes be to get visas when you're not in a country like in a European country or America. And so he's traveled so much. And I'm like, every time we talk is just like "Ah!" we're just like going at each other for so long because we are so connected I feel like I've known him forever and I'm like wow like that's the beauty of like when me wanting to meet my dad I was like I have an entire family that I have no idea who they are and what they're about (laughs) it's crazy when you think about it (laughs) (laughs) like the whole side of your life you just don't know at all and right 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 so um that was just right before you turned 27, right? Yeah. This El- yeah. The, the summer of El Salvador. Right. Was. So yeah, that yeah. the same summer also you went to Peru, right? No, that was the... Wait, was it was actually, yeah, fall. That fall is when I went to Peru. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that year was so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you meet the your, your dad. You meet his entire family. Uh-huh. Uh you feel better in Miami. You started yeah. to find friends. Life yeah. is better. Yeah. Um, and then suddenly you're like, fuck, I'm leaving my job and I'm backpacking. <laughs> and I'm backpacking. Yeah, yeah. So much was happening. I think because... I had, you know, gone through so much transformation. I did gratitude. I had friends. No, that was before gratitude. That was a summer before gratitude. Oh, right. Okay, so meeting my... Oh, yeah, thank you for aligning my time. Um, So... I think meeting my dad, really going through the whole process of like actually healing and holding myself accountable. And just to like backtrack that, like I didn't like I didn't really know much about what it meant to like heal traumas. Like that was language to me that didn't make sense. Like I just knew that at that time I was like, I'm not okay and I want to be okay. That was like my process of thinking. And so meeting my dad did so much for me because I was like, that was so major. And then going into the summer also, I had met Alvi and I was like now in a relationship that I really enjoyed. And even the beginning of that relationship was so hard for me because I still had a lot of shit that I have I hadn't unpacked from my previous relationship that I was unpacking for a long time but I think the remaining parts was really like how to allow myself to be loved I think that was like I was unpacking like oh I have like these abandonment issues where like my biological dad left and then I moved to a new city and like my this the man that I thought I was gonna be with for a while left and all of these things so I was unpacking all of that and I was really happy being with Alvi and I was unhappy going to work And so I finally hit this like understanding that I don't want to keep doing this. I don't want to keep going into a job and then 
two years later, that was usually the timeline, getting freaking tired of it, quitting, and then getting another job. And so like, I, I was tired of that. And I get, Alvi is a life coach, as you know. And so he was really like asking me a bunch of questions. And so ultimately, we were in my apartment at that time, we were laying in bed. And he was like, okay, if there is anything like regardless of money, any circumstances, what would you want to do? And I was like, I would want to pack up my shit and I would want to travel. And he was like, okay, so why can't you do that? And I was like, like in that moment, I was like, because I freaking can't. What do you mean? Like, and he was like, why? And so he starts asking me all these, he's gratituding me before. <laughs> he's like asking me all these questions. And I'm just like, he's like, well, what's going to happen? And I did save a good amount of money before I moved to Miami because I didn't have a job. I didn't know what was going to happen. And I wound up getting a job really quickly. So I did have money saved up and I was just like, yeah, but what if something happens? And he's like, what's going to happen? And then he like kind of takes me down the rabbit hole of like, what's worst case scenario. And I was like, someone dies and I have to go home or I care for my brother. Like what something happens to my mom? Like, it's just like all of these things that my brain was like, worst case scenario, you need all this money in case anything happens. And so that was like what, what was really stopping me is like this fear of worst case scenario was stopping me from doing something that I genuinely really wanted to do. Because when I moved to Miami and my life blew up, my I decided at the beginning was like, I'll stick it out for a year. I'll pack up my shit. I'll put it in storage and I'll travel. And my idea was to go to Southeast Asia. And I was like, I'll just travel around for a few months. It is what it is. But then I wound up quitting my job before the end of the year because I was so miserable it was so incredibly toxic for me. And so it got to a point where I just flat out quit. So that really messed up my timeline, which I mean, to say messed up, it worked out perfectly, but it messed up my timeline because I was just like, well, I still have a lease. Messed up your organizer. Yeah, it messed up my my organized life. (laughs) And so I didn't wind up doing that, but I still had that, that desire to to travel and to, to backpack specifically. And so um, from there, he was kind of just like asking me all of these other questions. And like, I really came to the decision that night. I was like, all right, I'm going to quit my job. And it, it was so weird because I was like, and do what? Like, what am I, what's my mom going to think? Like, I was like, all really, she was really the only person I was like really concerned about was like, I don't want my mom to be concerned for me. And so I made that decision at that time. And also, mind you, like, I'm in a relationship. So I'm like, well, what's that mean for us? Like, me just traveling around? Like, how how often are we going to be, like, speaking to each other? And so, or how long is it going to be? And so, um, one- Can I just say, it's nice that he was encouraging that because I feel like a lot of, I don't know, maybe not a lot of people, but some people would be like, no, you should stay here with me and don't do that big thing yeah. you want to go and do. Right. We need to be together. And so it was really nice that he put you first and was like, you do what you need to do. Right we'll stay together if we stay together and if not like we won't kind of thing that's really great that he did that for you I agree I agree and I think even if it's not like explicitly said like I want you to stay here with me I think a lot of times actions really persuade people to stay and not pursue something because of what could happen to the relationship and we were so I mean at that point we had been together maybe like like six seven months or something like that yeah it was before grad too wow we had been together for like six seven months and so um from there I started to he was like okay when are you gonna he then he held me accountable he's like what's the timeline and I was like oh my god (laughs) so and I was like okay by my birthday and so I like quit right after my birthday pack up I begin to like pack my things and I get really scared and so my in my mind I was going to be gone for about like two and a half months I believe is what my original plan was (laughs) I was going to be gone for about two and a half months and 
Alvi was going to come out with me at the very beginning. You know, at first we were like, okay, come sometime in the middle. That way we don't like, we, we spend maybe like four weeks or five weeks apart. But because I was backpacking, I didn't know where I was going to be in four weeks. Like, so I was like, it's hard to plan how you can meet me and you have to buy a plane ticket. It's not like the day before or else you're going to pay a lot. So I was like, come out with me at the beginning. So he comes out with me at the beginning and I wind up packing all of my stuff in my apartment. I have someone to sublet my room. I leave. We wind up hiking Peru, which was, I mean, hiking Machu Picchu, which was just absolutely stunning. We did the Salcante trek. It was amazing. I also, it was like the first time I ever saw Alvi like physically just die. Like he was just so. That can happen. Yeah. Oh. He, he was, yes, that can happen. He's human. Okay. He <laughs> and he was just so altitude and him do not mix well. And it was really, really hard for him. Well, yeah. Miami so, boy. Yeah. Miami boy, sea level whole yeah. life. <laughs> um, so we do that. And then of course he goes back to the States. And that was like the first time, like I remember when we got, he like ordered the Uber and he left. I just remember feeling like a sense of panic. Like, I think that was the moment it really settled in where I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? (laughs) And I started to panic and then I started to cry because then I was also like emotional because I was like, the Uber got here so fast. I wanted to say much more things, but then it got here and then he got in the car and now he's gone. (laughs) It was so tough for me at that moment is when I really panicked. And then it was again like, okay, well, I'm here. And so that was really the whole process of how I wound up getting there. It was like, feeling joy in these in like the personal life that I was building in Miami but then also understanding that like work and going to work felt really wrong and it was just not aligned with me I felt really miserable and it was also I think a big thing that really had me find clarity about like why this wasn't a good fit was because I was being paid fairly well for Miami standards And I was getting, there were amazing perks. I was getting pretty much fed every day. They would do like groceries and make lunch. Like there were great perks and I was getting paid fine. And my coworkers were fine and I was unhappy. And so I knew I was like, something isn't right. And I I just don't really understand why if I like all of these things on paper look fine, but I'm not fine. So I think that's where really, and then having Alvi really encourage me and coach me through that to help me get to that decision. It's great you had, Alvi, someone like Alvi at this time, because like you said, like when you look at it on the paper, mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense. It's like your life is good. Like you're, you're in Miami, good place. You're making good money. You have a good job. You have a place to live. You you know, everything is checked. Yeah. So like, and you, a lot of people would say like, would not be supportive of this decision. Right. It would right. be like, you've, you, you're making it. You know, yeah. Like you're on the path. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And now you've got a boyfriend, you know? So, right. Why would the, why would you just throw everything away? Right. Like, so it's great that you had someone like, like him yeah. that doesn't look at all those materials and, and stuff like that. And, and, and fuck out. You're too good, man. <laughs> <laughs> He's such a great guy. He's so good. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's, yeah, it's great that you had someone like him that went deeper than just, you know, you got a good job, you got this, you got that. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. fine. You know, you're going to be all right. And I think what's beautiful is really ever since meeting my, like moving to Miami, meeting my dad, like I realized the beauty of everything happening for a reason and like this timeline that we can I can attempt to organize as much as I can and it will happen the way it's meant to happen and going to Peru I went in with this idea that I wanted to find a job that was in college admissions because I developed I was like 
I've always, since I want to say probably like 1920, I know I've known that like my work is to be done with other women. Like I really have felt called to work with either young girls or like adults, but this like woman empowerment and how do we support each other? I've felt really strongly about that. And I've never really known how that looks like. And so when I went to Peru, I was like, I'm going to be there and I'll look for things that are going to be in the college admissions world with the understanding that eventually what I would love to do is support young girls that are struggling to get to college in that process. Cause for me, it was really challenging to get to college. And so that was my thought. And I went into Peru, I had my laptop with me and I was looking for, for jobs essentially. And I was in Peru for about three weeks in and I found a company that was in South Florida, in Broward, that does college admissions. And when I was looking at their company site, I was like, this is really cool. Like a lot of the people they work with are young, like in the company, it's a very young company. They had no job posting though. So I was like there and I was like, okay. So I found the person who was listed as like director of operations or operations manager or something like that. I found her LinkedIn profile. And so what I decided to do was I decided because I knew I wanted to go back to Florida because I had this relationship. I was actually really happy. I wanted to travel, but I knew I wanted to come back to Miami. So I decided that I was going to email this person, the manager of operations, but I didn't know her email and they had no job posting. So I guessed her email. I knew the company's name was Preppery and I knew that their info email was info at Preppery.com. So I was like, okay, their company email is yeah. something at so Preppery.com. First name, last name. <laughs> exactly. And yeah, you're going to figure it out. So I did all the combinations <laughs> and eventually I didn't get a bounce back. So I was like, I think this one went through. Can you see the spy skills coming from your mom? <laughs> yes. Can you see the thing? Okay. That's hilarious. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and so, um, so then I email this person and then the next day, like I close my laptop, I go for whatever. And the next day I go for a hike, I come home and I see that this person emailed me back and I was like, what the heck? So we start this conversation and then we wind up getting on a phone call. Now, mind you, I don't tell this girl I'm backpacking in Peru. So I'm like, yeah, let's get on a phone call. And we get on a phone call and I, oh my God, it was so funny. I'm in a hostel and I'm asking the lady cause I'm getting really nervous now. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know where this is going to lead, but I need to make sure I have good service. So I asked the lady and I know I don't have good service on my phone. So I was like, where can I get good service? She was, she literally goes, if you stand in this one corner right here, you will get good service. And it's, Oh my God. I mean, it's literally like you stand facing a wall in the corner and that's how you get service. And so as I start the conversation with this girl, Alex, I'm like talking to her and naturally I begin to walk around when I'm talking and I, <laughs> I hear the phone break up and I was like, shit, I'm not in the corner. And I run back into the corner and then the call continues from there. From there we go. Like it just happened so quickly that within like 10 days, I'm like following up with her. And essentially what she says, she was like, we don't have any job postings available, but we do need help. Like, I don't know what the role looks like, but I know that we're overwhelmed and we could use help. And I was like, well, I'm ready to help in any way, like in any capacity. And so like a week later, she's like, hey, we would like to have you come in for an interview. So mind you, <laughs> I'm in Peru. And the, like two days prior, I purchased a ticket to go to Colombia. Because what I decided was that I wasn't, I thought I was going to go to Peru and then Bolivia. But when I was in Peru, I was like, 
I'm actually tired of being cold and it's only going to get more cold if I go to Bolivia. Cause at this point during the season, I was like, it's only getting more cold and I don't want to do that. So I decided that I was going to go to Colombia, but I was going to go to all those places that I had never been. Cause every time I went to Colombia, it would always be to see my family. So I had actually never seen like the coast. I had never seen like the Northern coast part of Colombia. So I was like, I'll just go through all of that and it'll be beautiful. And I'll probably see my uncle on my, like my, my dad figure, like my father figure, since he's from that area, I was like, I'll go and see them. So that's what I was going to do. I purchased my ticket and then they asked me. And in that moment, like I had been journaling and I said, like, I wrote down and I was like, God, if the opportunity is presented to me in this way, then I like, I promise myself to surrender. And I remember when the opportunity came up for this interview, I was like, well, I have my ticket to Colombia. I have my ticket to go up to these places in Peru still. And I'm like, what, are, what am I supposed to do? And I was just sitting there and I was like shocked because I was like, I can't believe this is leading to an interview. And I looked over my journal and I saw what I wrote and I was just like, okay. So I like packed and I talked to Alvi as well. And Alvi was like definitely doing his best to be neutral and like, you know, coach me through it. But clearly he obviously wanted me to come home as well. And so it was his, that means I wouldn't have missed his birthday because I was not going to be here for his birthday. And so he was like, I mean, clearly, like, I would be really happy. But of course, like, this is a decision for you to make. And so ultimately, I decided, I was like, okay, I said this to myself. So I packed up my things. I acknowledged that I wasn't going to use the ticket that I purchased. Those were money that I just wasn't going to use. And I came home for the opportunity for a job, not even like guaranteed. It was for an interview. And I didn't have my apartment because I had sublet the apartment to someone else. So of course, now I call up, hey dad. (laughs) So I call up my dad to ask him if I can crash at his place. And so he says, yes, I'm crashing with him. I do my interview. And like a week later, they offer me an internship to start. They're like, we'll start off with an internship. And then if you're open, then in the new year, we'll talk and you can get a full-time job. And that's how I wound up working at the job that I'm at now. I was traveling for about a month and a half, I think, like about a month and a half, came home. And I remember the day, this is how I know like life works exactly the way it's supposed to work. The day I came home from part one gratitude graduation, I got a notification on my phone and it was for my ticket to come back to Miami. And I was like, oh my gosh, had everything worked out the way I thought it was going to work out, I wouldn't have been here for part one. Alvi would have done part one without me. He would have been here and done it on his own. And I would have come home and been like, what the fuck is gratitude? Like, what are you talking about? Stop gratitude me. What are you talking about? And it's really amazing because that really took us on a journey that none of us expected. We would have never met. We would have never met. Like, I just, it's really crazy to yeah. think about how that worked out. And because I decided... I'm going to give this a shot at this job, potential job, and see how it works. Did you tell them on the interview, I'm literally just coming back from... When I got there, yes. I told them, I was like, I came back from... Because I also came with, like, chocolates from Peru. Um, I'm really, really good at at (laughs) persuading people to hire me. (laughs) I'm really good at it. And so I came, and I was like, I had chocolates from from Peru. And so they, of course, love that. It's an office, like, predominantly women. So it's just like, yay. And and it went so well. And, of course, they offered me the internship. And I was just like, at at that moment, when they offered me the internship, I was, first, I was, like, super scarce. I was like, what am I supposed to do with an internship? Like, I still have bills that I'm paying. Like, my rent is covered, but only through 
it was like November essentially that it was uh, covered through. And then after that, I still have rent to pay. So like, how's this going to work? And so I was kind of getting like really stressed about that, but all of it really worked out and then stepping into gratitude. Because you don't get paid when you have an internship? Um, so in most, a lot of internships in the States won't pay you. Some states, uh, some will. In this case I was, but it was, I mean, like abysmal. A it yeah, was yeah. abysmal. Like yeah. it was just like, this is like money for like a high school student like for to have really like a lot of fun with or or an adult who's still living at home and doesn't have rent then like this is fine um but for like how i was living like yeah no. not like an adult life no in no miami. not an adult life yeah, yeah. in miami okay. yeah uh, so that that was like the really big challenge for me and then of course going into gratitude like you know gratitude costs money like like paying for these things and i'm like what am i doing yeah, yeah. <laughs> um where this desire to work with women and empowering women yeah. is coming from you think yeah that's so interesting i'm not really sure like in terms of where that started i've just oh what i will say like even now um and you i feel like this is probably experienced in my birthday party that i had last weekend it's like i've always been very comfortable and feeling safe around like divine feminine energy and I think I really like appreciate it and when I was in high school again how I said I was like uh, people suck you can't trust people things like that and so I think it was really hard for me to see that part because I couldn't envision like a community where people support each other and then going into my life in Miami and really growing through that also that was the first time I was really single because I was in my previous relationship for six years I had literally gone from one relationship into that six-year relationship. So before that, I was with someone for like two and a half years. So I had never been single until I moved to Miami. And I didn't, I definitely did not appreciate what it meant to have a girlfriend until I was in Miami. And I was like meeting girls and I developed a really good friendship with this one girl. And it was like so unique because even my best friend, Raina from high school, like we were friends and we always hung out, but it was definitely not like this glue of like I'm with you all the time and with my friend Jasmine who was here in Miami it was like that because we both were new to the city we had both actually gone through a breakup and we were both kind of going through our own things and we really latched onto each other and supported each other like when Irma came we like together we packed up all our shit I went to her apartment packed up all her stuff and then we got in the car and we drove up to Maryland to Virginia actually to like be with her family and my family and that's when I really began to understand like the power of what like friendship and community is like when you have someone who is a friend as opposed to like a partner and so that's I think where a lot of it came from is like really appreciating what it meant to like have a group of girls to support each other And for men, I think like even up until now, when I meet a guy and they're very, very masculine and male energy, unless it's a romantic kind of courting situation, which is how I wound up with Alvi, um, it doesn't. <laughs> I was gonna say that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's I'm not like, oh, I want to be your friend. Like I don't have that urge for someone who's like very male, masculine energy. I definitely am attracted to men like uh, Jeremy. This is how I interpret you is like someone who's more balanced, someone who understands like I don't always have to be like this super tough in the way like stereotypically men need to act. 
and I get along with guys that are more balanced in their energies between female and male than I am with guys who are like super masculine. So I think that's why too, like I've always been very attracted to like, how can we support women? And also growing up, like given my mom, she had like my dad in that marriage and she's with my brother's dad. But like my mom is very much like this matriarch in my opinion. Like she is the one that handles the money. Yeah. She handles money. She like, they have like separate bank accounts because she's a lot more smarter about money than he is. And she's very, (laughs) she's very much in terms of like not only nurturing, but making sure that things get done. And so I really admire that. And I think my mom has sacrificed so much that I think about what our world could look like if women felt more supported. I think about that a lot, like how beautiful of a place we could create if women felt safe and women felt supported and women felt empowered. So I think that it's been like a, a, a really a mixture of a lot of different things of my own experience of having a, a girlfriend. And then in addition to that, seeing like my mom and how amazing she was. Mm. But you're also quite, or maybe it's just because you're with, in, in a relationship with Alvi, but you, you you have a thing inside you about helping either minority or mm-hmm. supporting like that, yeah. that's within you yeah reason, yeah right? yeah it's not even just women actually i think right like, right you know, right since since may uh, with george floyd's murder and everything like that's something that's been affect you really personally right. obviously your relationship with alvi is part of it yeah but i think even even without that yeah it's, you care Right. Well, I think that is my upbringing. So it's like a combination of my upbringing and my education. So growing up, as I had mentioned, I grew up around a lot of other second generation immigrants. And I also went to a school that at that time was about 80 percent mix of African-American and Hispanics. And so the majority of the people that I went to school with were people of color. And so that was my upbringing and that was what, what was normal to me. And it wasn't until I was in college and I majored in sociology, which is the way I describe it is really learning about all the systemic ways that we oppress people. And so in college, it was really hard for me to take that in. And I became very angry because I began to understand why my school looked like that why my school was 80% black and Hispanic and six miles down the road in Bethesda, the school is like 80% white. And so I really began to understand like these systemic parts of it and understanding how challenging, as I said, it was for me to get to college. And I also know a ton of people who didn't go to college from my school who didn't go to college. And so understanding all of these obstacles that are in place, because for us, what is normal is different for someone else who is normal. And in my opinion, for certain groups of people, they what their normal is sets them up for success in a way that our normal doesn't. And so really understanding that and unpacking that was very, very big for me. And as I said, it made me really angry in college. And so coming out of college, I was like, definitely in a place where I wasn't being effective in the way I spoke about it, because I was always just like, blaming people and I was like always kind of like pointing the finger and it just wasn't healthy like for me or for other people and I don't think it actually moved the conversation in any way but having that realization had me realize like okay so this is our situation here and these are the obstacles that we have what would it be like especially because these were people that were my friends and that I knew what would it be like if we had the resources 
the way that other people do in order or providing resources because we are second generation. A lot of people were second generation immigrants. Our parents don't have the knowledge of what it's like to have an education in America. And so that alone is already an obstacle to not have someone to look up to and be like, okay, well, oh, why don't you talk to your uncle this? Or why don't you talk to this? You know, we didn't have that. My mom has not only not an American education, my mom has a third grade Colombian education. So my mom isn't very educated period in either Colombia or American education. So that was really challenging. And that's where I get like really passionate about this idea of wanting to work with women and specifically women of color, black and brown women. I think that's really important because as I said, I think that a world like our country in a place where women can feel safe and empowered and feel like they can go and get things. I think that we would see so much accomplished in this country. So that's what kind of gets me fired. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a big combination of yeah, yeah. <laughs> bringing and, and relationships. For sure. It, even then, like growing up, there is, um, and you may have seen this already, there's a lot of racism across the world, across the globe. And in Colombia, I think they're maybe the second country after Brazil with the highest Afro-Latino population. And so the majority of them are in Cartagena on the coast because given the slave trade, they were taken from Africa to the coast of Colombia. And so the largest portion of African population is still in that area. And so every time I went to Colombia, I wouldn't really see it too much. In Bogota, I would because it's a major city and people, a lot of people move there. But even then, there's definitely racism within Colombia. And really, I remember when I was in college, I was talking to my mom. I was having more conversations with her about what it like what race meant to her and my mom definitely has like preconceived notions of what it means to be black and she said that she was dating this guy that she liked who was black colombian um as in like afro-colombian and she said that she pretty much just felt like yeah he was a nice guy but like i couldn't really go further with him because he is black and so that understanding that idea from her was really interesting for me because i was just like oh that's so interesting because even though i went to school with a lot of black people i did didn't have a lot of close friends and by friends I mean people like where I would hang out with outside of school like I had friends in school of course but outside of school I didn't really have a lot of close friends that were black and I think part of that was my upbringing my mom and language barriers because my mom wouldn't let me go and like sleepover anywhere sleepovers were not a thing for me I slept over someone's house maybe like five times throughout my entire like upbringing and it was only if like my mom had a conversation with the mom and knew who they were and so my mom couldn't do that with English-speaking people because she didn't speak English so I think that was a barrier but definitely race also a barrier in there as well and my cousin who is a couple years older than me she wind up marrying and having kids but first she had kids and then married a black man And that was a whole conversation in our family that I think I'm so thankful to my cousin because I really feel like that set the stage for someone like my relationship with Alvi to be seamless. Yeah, Yeah, I I remember we talked about that quite recently, I think, uh, about that somehow you, I can't remember how you phrased it, but I remember you saying something along the line of like, you knew you were going to be in a relationship with probably someone of color. Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah. and, and, And introducing him to your family was boring you in a sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm very, very thankful. And I, for me, coming to Miami, because that was the first time I was ever dating, uh, dating was really challenging for me. I did not have a lot of fun doing that. And when I first started to date in Miami, it was mainly through apps, really. And as I was, like, meeting certain 
people from like, it was usually like Latinos when I was go out on a date with them. I was just not attracted to their lifestyle. And I think Miami is very interesting because it is such a hub of Latin American culture that I was meeting a lot of guys who still lived at home despite like I preferred guys who were older than me. So I was dating guys who were like 28, 29, 30, because at that time I was like 25. And I was like meeting these guys who still lived at home. And I was just like, I don't really understand why you're still living at home. And then on top of that, a lot of these guys had the finances to not live at home, but wanted to live at home. And so then it became a conversation as like, why are you living at home? And then it was very clear that a lot of the guys that I was meeting, it was like, well, like, it's really nice. Like, I care for my mom and she makes me dinner and she does my laundry. And I was just like, oh, okay, so like, we're not. This is not going to work for me. It's not going to work for me. So very quickly it became, I, I understood that, that I was meeting a lot of guys who essentially was looking for someone who would be quote unquote good enough and then take care of them. And I was just like, that's not where I'm at in my life. And so that's when it like started to really mix up and I started to meet more black men and go on dates with black men. And it was very different for me. Like a lot of the guys that I was meeting were living on their own. Some of them were either not from Miami or if they were from Miami, they had gone to school somewhere else and then moved back to Miami. And so they had been somewhere. And I think it really makes a difference when you move away from your town and you experience something different and then you come back versus like staying in the same place for your whole life. And so that's when I started to be like, oh, okay, cool. So I was like, as I was dating and dating, I found that a lot of the people I felt most attracted to were black men in Miami. And so my mom, I would show my mom, um, like someone I was talking to and I dated, I dated this white guy as well. He was half white, half, oh man, I'm forgetting. Um, sorry. Um, but yeah, so he was mixed. But anyway, so like showing my mom pictures, my mom was just like, oh, like I remember she would be like, oh, yeah. interesting. <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then about, like I remember one time specifically, she was like, oh, okay. So you're going to like, you're going to bring home like a black boyfriend. And I was just like, I mean, maybe, like, I don't know, mom. Um, but the way things are going in Miami, probably. And I'm really happy because, as I said, my cousin took a lot of shit. She took a lot of shit. And I think it really, and once babies come in the picture, I mean, most of the time people are just like, babies. It's like, everything is done. Like, babies are here. They love the kids. And I think that's what's set up for Alvi to come in the picture. And yeah, it was way easier, yeah. So <laughs> easy, so easy, so yeah. easy. yeah to imagine if I would have shown a picture of to my parents <laughs> that would not have been the same story <laughs> yeah life. yeah it's a very it's definitely like a very real thing to to talk about and even as everything's been going on since um really this national conversation that we're seeing in terms of race talking to my mom about that and the, you know talking about that in Spanish is a little bit challenging for me because I don't have the language I since I never studied Spanish I spoke it in the house so my vocabulary is really limited to what conversation in the house is like and that doesn't include things like talking about racism systemic racism and so it's challenging at times but even having that conversation with my mom has been so interesting because my mom truly just doesn't know what race relations in America looks like and so I remember when we were talking about George 
George Floyd, she was like, well, I'm really happy that they got that on camera as if like that was like the end all be all. And I was like, mom, we've seen this on camera before. This is not a new video in terms of like how this goes down. And she was like shocked. She was like, but how could they could that? How could that just happen? And like nothing. And I'm like, there's just so much to talk about here. But even having that conversation with my brother is like also really important for me because he's now going off to college and like learning a bit more and getting for him to vote and everything yeah exactly having the right to vote so like all of that has been such an interesting conversation in my household and seeing that conversation play out with like my mom and my aunt i think is really really important because then they also have that conversation with their friends where i think it can really make a difference i think that's how we really make a difference is having these conversations with people including ourselves who hold the privilege of really being able to see it from this perspective and share that with other people in a way that isn't pointing the finger and blaming and being angry um, because I like get to come from a place of compassion and also like curiosity and conversation and honesty in that way. Yeah. All right. I, I've got one last question for you. Um, I don't expect like a really clear, precise answer, but like where, where do you see yourself? Uh, and I'm not going to put a timeline on it. Like what's your, your vision? Like you, you've changed a ton in the last 18 months mm -hmm. say like one year and a half um what's next for you Ooh, yeah like what's your plan your dream if you know like and, and again like like alvd like it's not about the money worst case like whatever yeah. you can do what what's next yeah so i still ha i've actually been thinking about this a lot because i just found out my human design And human design is something I recently learned. It's essentially one of these like personality tests where in a way it's similar to astrology where you put in your birthday, your time, your location, and it'll give you your your human design. But it mixes astrology with your chakras with a few other things. And from there, I've been like doing a deep dive on what my human design means. And a lot of it is what it means to be a projector from what I've learned so far, I'm in no way an expert in this, um, but it means I'm, I'm a non-energy type and that means that I pick up energies from other people. So that would be like generators, which are other ones, manifestors and so forth. And from there, what's important to learn about projectors is we're not meant to be doing things all the time projectors are very much people who are like guides and teachers and coaches and things like that really meant to guide people and we are meant to work but in a lot more of like spurts with a lot of rest so like one of the things that I saw where I was like oh that's it's like you need rest a lot of rest is important and that's Alvi and I learned we're both projectors and so it's very very true in the sense of like I for sure one like always for me eight hours of sleep is not my standard that's not what works for me and it took a really long time for me to understand that so with that it's so important for projectors to know like what is their calling but in like in what niche of a way like what's their way of showing up in this world that like fuels them in a way that's also going to guide and so I've been thinking about that a lot too and I'm still not clear I'm definitely working on it I kind of went into the career coaching world working at Preppery and I really enjoy that I love doing career coaching what I've realized now with the human design which makes so much sense is 
the parts of career coaching that drain me are the really heavy doing this part. It's the resume writing. It's the freaking sourcing of jobs. It's like these things where I'm like, I, I want to talk to them and I want to know what are their self-limiting beliefs and what are the reasons they're not going for the job and what are this and why aren't they negotiating their salaries and how, like what's getting in the way? Like that's the part that really fires me up. And I love, again, bringing in I want to be in a place where I'm doing that kind of work for women of color because we do not only have a pay gap between male and well between men and women but that is then layered by people from certain ethnic groups like black women are paid that pay gap is a lot wider than it is from white women to men. So really understanding like where are these getting in the way and how can I create an environment where women in the workplace are really going after it and are being able to like demand for what they're worth. That's something that I think is going to be coming down the line. And um, so I love that in terms of like creating spaces for women empowerment and specifically women of color. What I love too is something that I've been thinking like I thought about this for maybe two years. And at this point, who knows when we'll have something like this again. What I think would be beautiful is to see a concert, like a festival essentially, but for women. And so think about something like Three Points or like Ultra in 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 the sense that like all of these things started really small and like grew as years went on. But starting off something where like the music would be by musicians, by women, the food that's sold would be by women, the clothes that are sold, like it would essentially literally be a powerhouse of like women creativity. And I think that it would be so cool to have something like this. And I don't know when the heck this could ever happen, uh, but that's something that hasn't gone away. And, you know, I've had these ideas that sometimes I like think about it. I'm like, oh, that was that was cool. But like, I'm kind of over it. This is still something that even over the past two years, like I randomly think about, I'm like, but how cool would that freaking be to have an entire, yeah, like space that's like women led and but supported by everyone, like anyone can obviously show up. And I, I think that that would be really beautiful. So I definitely see myself in spaces where it's like, how do we build community for for women? I'm still working on how that looks like for me. Interesting. I'll put you in contact with someone who wants to organize a festival as well. So yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you you might have something to talk about. And we know a female DJ who can get you in touch with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah right. I just think that would be so amazing. Like celebrate women and the talent that they bring in. And I I think for a lot of festivals it usually does become skewed where it's male heavy, where it's a lot of men. Um, and I don't think it's like. I think that's the thing. Like, I don't think it's purposely ever excluding women, but I think that this happens so much in our society where it becomes like very heavily like men who are headlining and men who are DJs and so many things like that. And I want to create a space where it's like divine. If you you go to Ultra, there's maybe a couple of women there and they play at like 2 p.m. when no one's there. It's interesting as well, though, because I don't know if you saw Miley Cyrus had like a comment about the VMAs to like recently, a couple of days ago, because I don't know, I think she was asking for equal pay or something or other. Uh-huh. And she kind of made a comment like, I don't know, something along the lines of basically she should be treated like she's there as like to sell sex. And that's the reason that she's basically at the VMAs to sell sex. So it's interesting. And she's like, I know I'm doing that, but that's the whole point. Like, that's the only reason I'm performing yeah is because i'm selling sex and that's what sells the show so it'd be super interesting to have female artists that aren't 
selling sex. They're selling right. female empowerment rather than female Yeah, sex and all their talents. Yeah, I think that'd be so cool. What it gets me so, especially because I see so many, like on my timeline, like I see like bakers, I see DJs, I see people who paint, I see people who hula hoop. Like it's so much. There's just so much. And I think to have like a space where it's all women, I think that would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some amazing video producer oh, as yeah. well. You can make <laughs> it happen. You can, you, you, can, you can really make it happen if yeah. you want to. So, yeah, yeah. okay, we're going to remember that. Yeah. I'll, I'll remind it's you. It's a bit like Daybreaker. <laughs> like if you start off small with like a small community in Miami yeah, and just get the women that we know that are in that space yeah. and then build it from there and it'll grow. I think that's amazing. Yeah, because a lot of times these, it kind of goes back to like, everything starts somewhere every celebrity started and it's like always thinking about how I think I get so overwhelmed by what is the elephant like the big thing and then I'm like this starts small these things started small as like a gathering and they grow because of the love and energy that's in it and then people want like daybreaker like daybreaker is something where you just experience such euphoria in a sober mind state that's beautiful to just dance it out have a great time eat good food if you like it's amazing and like for it to be really centered around health like that's huge for me and that's a whole other thing too like the way I feel about health and the state of our country and our health I'm very very adamant about becoming more like optimizing my own health and sharing that in a way that's like authentic to me so that hopefully other people then feel the desire to want to take on their health as well so I think that's so so important and I've seen so many people whose lives literally change from lifestyle, from switching up how you eat and how you move. And I think that in terms of a healthy country, it's like a happy country to be healthier. You know, I've, people say like hurt people hurt people. And I think that it's so real to really think about health and the way that it goes way beyond like a physical level, but that someone who is maybe physically fit, but really angry, like there's something emotionally there that's being blocked. Maybe there's trauma that hasn't been healed. And like, that's something that I talk a lot about that I find that comes very natural to me is like really talking about how do we like really optimize our health and how do we like spread it in a way that isn't again like guilting people into to being healthy because I don't think that works like I didn't take on my health until I was 19 and it really it was so painful at first like I started off running because I thought that's what being healthy was and all I did was run and I got really tired of that but starting that put me on like it's been almost a decade and my health has changed so much and has gone like on a positive I feel like it's like anything once you begin to scratch the surface it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper and like be health and learning what health means is like a lifelong journey oh yeah yeah (laughs) yeah I feel the same with mental health as well because when I was 18 I was super skinny I thought I was fat but I was super skinny and I wasn't particularly happy whereas now I'm the biggest I've ever been but I'm the happiest I've ever been so like it's important that it's not just health as in like be super toned and skinny and this ideal like Instagram model that's some people's version of health but for me that's not health like I'm healthy how I am but just because I'm not stick thin that's not 
I don't know, like it's also about mental health Absolutely. and being mentally happy as well. Yeah, you that's such a it's so amazing you say that because I've been thinking about this a lot over the past month where this is for sure the heaviest I've ever been. And I've I this is for sure the healthiest I've ever been. I don't like I eat really, really good. I eat whole foods. What I will say is I enjoy snacking. But even my snacks are, I enjoy donuts. Yeah. Actually, no. right. I really enjoy snacking and I think that gets me. Uh but I eat really great quality food. And so especially like the household I share a household with Alvi. Like it's very much like a healthy home. And so to think about I was getting like really down about myself. And I it's so crazy because the lightest I've ever been as an adult was when I was um like distraught and drinking and eating crap and that was the skinniest I ever was and I think that helps me because I still get down about it and it helps me remember like okay am I healthy am I safe am I treating my body well and then remembering like okay that just because you don't look like that remember when you did look like that you were not healthy and like really understanding what that means for me and understanding that like my body is fine the way it is and I can continue to work out and do everything in my power to like feel healthy and not attaching an image to that. I get really attached to image to what it means for me to be healthy. Yeah, it's just like you say, it's, it's, it's not about a number, it's about feeling. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And yeah, and you both look good. Okay? <laughs> like, this is like a girl, I can feel like a girl thing there. Like. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I really, I relate to you so much though, Rosie. I a hundred percent. I'm like, this is, I feel so happy. I'm so healthy and this is the heaviest and that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cause you feel good yeah. And, yeah. And, and it's not about the, the, the image or the number on scale or whatever. It's just like an inside thing. That's it. Yeah. Um, all right. Thank <laughs> you so much. Alejandra. Thank I'm you, so glad Jeremy. we made it happen. Yeah. Um, oh, I'm going to remember this time. Go on. Like it's been a few weeks. I've been saying to Rosie, I want to start like asking the same question to all the guests at the end, oh. but I don't want to come up with like the same like cheesy question that everyone asks in every podcast or whatever. I don't <laughs> know. So I've been trying to think about it, and I've never done it. And I thought I could try to do something that relates to the podcast. Okay. Uh, so like. Oh yeah. Oh, you remember? remember. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to try to do it now every episode, uh, <laughs> if I remember. Um, if you could have a chat with someone that you quite qualified as a really interesting person, who would you pick, dead or alive? If you can have a chat with like one person, dead or alive, that would be for you interesting that doesn't mean fame it can be your mom it can be a superstar like whatever yeah interesting that's such a hard question <laughs> yeah uh, well so the first person that really comes to my mind there's actually two people so first was oprah and second is sonia sotomayor which is a supreme court justice she is the first of a latinx background she's puerto rican so both of them <laughs> I kind of cheated. It was like two. <laughs> That's all right. Two. Uh, but w the reasons being because like from the little that I have learned um, and Oprah more so because she has a podcast and does a lot of speaking, obviously. And so I've learned a bit about her life through that. But it's about really understanding how much pain their childhood and 
how many obstacles their childhood had presented to them and then being able to take that in a way that then is perseverance and growing into something that I think is beautiful. Same thing with Sonia Sotomayor where she, I actually met her one time when I was 15 maybe. My mom, as I said, cleans houses and she was at a house helping out, not cleaning in terms of like cleaning the house in the regular way, but she was help cleaning up after a party that they were hosting and Sonia Sotomayor came and my mom, like my mom's not political at all. And my mom lost it. My mom was just like, Oh my God, that's Sonia Sotomayor. And I was like, mom, what are you talking about? Who's Sonia Sotomayor? I had no idea. And she was like, do you think I can take a picture with her? Would that be wrong? And she's like talking to me. I was like, go take it. And she was so sweet. And I've learned about her story as well in terms of like coming, I believe from the Bronx, but I'm not really sure. Um, being Puerto Rican, growing up in New York and really being able to make it to the Supreme court. I mean, that's amazing. And also they're both women and really talking about like the struggles that that has even presented itself. So yes, I would say that those two people, Oprah and Sonia Sotomayor. (laughs) That was a good question. Thank you. All right. I'm going to try to remember it every time now. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Alejandra. I loved getting to know you more and learning more about your story and your brothers and your upbringing and everything. So thank you so much for being part of this episode. Of course. Where can people find you on social media if they want to say hello? Aye. Okay. On Instagram, you can follow uh, follow me at A underscore O-I-D-O-R. And I mean, that's really where I'm most active. I'm most active on Instagram. That's where you can find me. (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to share it with somebody else. Leave us a review if you feel inclined. And we will see you next week for a brand new episode. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.